Someone who would never leave unlabeled food in the refrigerator, nor an unlabeled book, uh, as he is the author of many, many bestsellers, is uh, Brian Kilmeade, not only a New York Times bestselling author, but the co-host of Fox and Friends and a nationally syndicated radio talk show host. Good morning, Brian. Well, what's happening, Frank? Uh, quite a bit. Quite a bit. Um, uh, you know, on a very serious note, I always like to be kind of, of lighthearted with you, but we're watching this, uh, you know, very sad situation in Kansas City in the aftermath of the Chiefs' victory parade. What are you hearing about the latest on this, Brian? Are you hearing anything with respect to motive or a reason for this mass shooting? Nothing. Uh, nothing yet. I don't think it's going to be hard to figure out. They got the guy. Uh, but how great is it uh, for... People who are watching the parade one minute, next minute they turn around, they tackle him. Two guys tackle him. With a, the guy had a gun, they they're able to knock the gun loose, knock him to the ground. The cops catch up to him. It looks like there's only one gunman. Originally, we heard there were two, uh, but basically, the way I understand it, in in um, in Kansas City, you you can carry. So there's just certain things like schools and uh, and uh, churches you can't carry a gun, but you can carry. So unlike in New York City. If you have a gun and you have no permit, that would be a story. Times Square, for example, uh, at that parade, just like in most uh, cities in Florida, you know, most people have, uh, you can have a gun, we'll never know it. So a lot of people are armed there, so we'll see what happens. I just don't understand what the president's condemning. Gun, we got to get better gun laws in this country. Excuse me. Can we find out some details right. well, about exactly. what's going on? Exactly. I mean, come on. And plus, you did pass gun legislation, you knucklehead. You do. You have something actually to brag about. Republicans took tremendous risk, uh, especially Senator Cornyn, and about 14 went along with you. And immediately, well, every time there's a gun shooting, oh, we got to get, you know, we got to get rid of this. We got to get rid of it. Excuse me. Uh, every there, there's responsible people out there who uh, don't want to be looped in with these assassins. So please don't do that. And can he possibly wait? He waits on everything else. We have no idea what we're doing in Ukraine. We have no idea what our policy is in Gaza. But if he hears about a parade shooting, he can weigh in on that right away. And, uh, you know, depending on the level of waiting, we don't even know what the American reaction will be if China invades Taiwan. Uh, because if, if, right. he gives one an- if he gives an answer versus what his staff Forgot says, uh, his, uh, they have very different answers on that one. Uh, uh, tell me your thoughts on the Super Bowl in general. Uh, it's a shame it was such a boring game, huh? Real blowout. <laughs> well, a couple of things. I, I don't know why people look at the first half and go, as boring. I go, what are you talking about? Do you like de- defense? It's I thought it was great. And yeah. offense. Yeah. I go, if, if you have a defense making adjustments against these elite offenses, that's called a good game. You don't need 30-30 at halftime to go, what an entertaining game. I turn around and go, wait a second. Where's the defense? Did anyone prepare and scheme? These are two of the best. I think that one of the stories... Uh, and I know this is, it sounds routine, but I've actually been at so many Super Bowls in person. You talk to all these people leading up to it, you, to nauseam. I don't think the, these two coaching staffs are so bright and so smart, and they're known to make adjustments. And we're watching them adjust to each other. And I just thought that that's one of the great things about the Super Bowl. The coaches stepped up. The players stepped up. The defenses stepped up. The offenses adjusted again. And then in overtime, we see it at it. And also, I thought, and I know this is a minor point, but I can't take it for granted anymore. To see Brock Purdy and coaches lose with grace is a lost art. And just credit the other guys. And, you know, I have no regrets, but Brock Purdy, I got to do better next time. I just think that that's a great lesson. And one of the worst things, and you you might think it's a little hokey, 
But when I saw Travis Kelsey oh, that's yelling his, at That's the next thing I was going to ask you about. I, I just hated it. I, I just hated it. And I'm thinking about these 14-year-olds, these 17-year-old juniors with this, who are aspiring to go to college. And maybe they know there's a scout in the stands and they're not in, in a key play. Wait a second. Travis Kelsey actually got more famous after screaming at mm-hmm. his coach. He said, and the coach said, it is no problem. And you could spin it any way you want. I have a huge problem with that. Me too. Uh, me too. Was there ever a sufficient explanation given by Kelsey as to why he did that? Not only screaming at him very visibly in front of the largest TV audience in history, even larger than the moon landing, but kind of seeming to grab his arm and almost shove him. Did he give any sort of public explanation for that? I think he apologized. First, he said that, you know, we go back and forth like that. Oh, I didn't know you heard that. He was wearing a mic. And we might eventually hear what, what if the NFL decides to do that, we might hear what happened. I, I, we know roughly what happened. He's demanding being in and one of the tight ends that was in for him because he's not the best blocking tight end. Uh, uh, you know, there was a fumble because the guy missed a block. Uh, I'm pretty sure you shouldn't be screaming at the coach for that, uh, who might be the best offensive mind in, sport, in, in the NFL. So, excuse me, he needs you off for a play. And later in the fourth quarter, when things were on the line, they put in their best tight end maybe in football, and he makes the two or three key plays. So I just don't like it. It's not a big deal to dwell on. But I, I do like the fact that in a time in which everyone's streaming and watching on their phones or not know, knowing even how to put on their TVs, we got to write, we, everyone came around and watched one thing. And, and that's an American thing, pro-American, nobody's kneeling. Uh, you know, we we did have an overflight, even though the, the roof was closed. So I just thought it was it was good all around. I thought it looked good for Las mm. Vegas as well. But next year with Fox, uh, I'll be there and be in New Orleans. New Orleans also knows how to hold a big event. That's great. Maybe I'll make the trip out there uh, as well. That'll be fun to, it, uh, uh, to hang out with you uh, out there Bring in New Orleans. Bring your growing network of fans. I yeah, think, yeah. I think your listeners need to be brought to the Super Bowl. I, I, I think that would be a lot of fun. Um, hey, speaking of losing gracefully, let me ask you about someone that's not necessarily known for losing gracefully. That's the 45th president of the United States. He was on uh, he was on Truth Social yesterday blasting, blasting uh, Maisie Pillip, uh, the Republican that lost to Tom Swazi in the uh, in the special election, calling her a foolish woman. He also took a couple of shots at uh, Nikki Haley's husband recently. So Nikki Haley was on TV, I think, uh, the, the Today Show calling President Trump deranged. He is not the same person he was in 2016. He is unhinged. He is more diminished than he than he was. And I'm curious what you make of this new line of attack from Nikki Haley. This is not what we've heard from her during most of the campaign. She's starting to sound more and more like Chris Christie and less and less like uh, Vivek Ramaswamy in terms of how they're going after Trump on a head-to-head basis. Is this strategic? Is this emotional? Right. What do you make of this? This is why you're a great host. I was thinking the same thing uh, over the last week, and I have not said it on the air, and you're, you've helped me today. Uh, I'm saying if Nikki Haley wanted this line of attack, I respect that. You know I think she's a really great candidate. Sure. Yeah. But I don't understand this. I don't understand it. Because if you if you didn't like Donald Trump four years ago, you don't like him now. And, by, and if you loved him four years ago, you like him now. There's no difference. In fact, there's less. He's doing less appearances. And what Marco Rubio nailed it on Sunday, as did Michael Waltz, he said, listen, do we know Donald Trump? He talks in extremes. But what he's saying is 11 of the third, now 32 NATO nations have hit the 2% GDP. So he talks in extremes. He wants leverage. So that's what the word the Rubio used, leverage. But when Nikki Haley comes out and is using Republican, Democratic arguments 
of just, hey, he can't be president, he's unhinged, he's too old, and he needs a mental test. Okay, that's fine if you're Joe Biden and if you're any Democrat in the House, if you're Adam Schiff. But if you're going to go that line of attack, why did you wait? You've lost Iowa. You've lost New Hampshire. You're down 30 in South Carolina. So you decided, I'm going to burn the village down even though I've lost the war. And this is, it's crazy. And it doesn't make any sense. She acts like she's unhinged. Now, I do, again, I like her. If there was no Donald Trump, I think her and DeSantis would be in a death match. They were getting very personal, too, by sure, the way. Sure. That's why I didn't even want to see another debate. All they were doing is insulting each other personally. But she should be ratcheting up in it. Let me just tell you about NATO. I like that the president got four more countries to hit the 2% margin. I noticed there's three countries like France at 1.9, one's 1.87. We need them the rest of the way. But the way I would do it is not threaten. The way I would do it is say, guys, we're within, we're within a few uh, million dollars of hitting our threshold and sending a great message to, to the Russians. I would urge people on. I would tell them where to increase. I would tell them the weapons to buy from us. And then I go, yeah, you know, wait a second. One has got more of an optimistic, one's threatening. Maybe I want the younger, uh, more optimistic mm-hmm. look. But just telling a bunch of Trump supporters that their candidate is unhinged is not going to win you South Carolina. There was a uh, USA Today column a day or two ago calling on uh, no labels to nominate Nikki Haley and Dean Phillips as their ticket. Uh, Chris Christie, who we uh, just mentioned a minute ago, he has now said, you know, he's not necessarily closing the door on uh, a no labels candidacy. What are you hearing about who may end up being the no labels candidate in November, if anyone? And do you think Haley or Christie might be in the mix? I, I'd be shocked at Haley. I think she has a Republican fu- I think she wants a future in the party. I know, I know it doesn't sound like she does. I'd be shocked at Haley, but I, would, uh, I think it's Joe Manchin and one other person. And I think one of the big stories, under, uh, underreported stories, is what the Democratic Party's doing to keep no labels, RFK, uh, and Cornell West off the ballot. They are going to the ends of the earth to make sure that they don't qualify. And these states are having some of these states are having these uh, having uh, criteria that's almost impossible to reach. Now, one thing one of them can do is hop on the libertarian ticket and they'll be on all 50 states because evidently they've already qualified. And RFK has not shut the door on that, although he's not a libertarian. I'm sure they might shut the door on that. Mm -hmm. But it's Joe Manchin and somebody else. And I think Manchin's going to announce right after Super Tuesday after Trump wins. So and I think that he wanted he wants Mitt Romney. I don't think that's a good move. Mitt Romney thinks he's too old. And by the way, Joe Manchin's 74, even though he looks great. So uh, Chris Christie would be interesting. I mean, it would certainly it would change the debate a little. I don't think that Chris Christie has got the report with Democrats, doesn't have their support of Democrats or Republicans. And it doesn't mean I don't think he's extremely intelligent, bright and would have a major role in any administration except for Trump because they hate each other now. But I don't think that wins it. I think they need somebody with some universal popularity. Larry Hogan's going to run for Senate in Maryland, which is good news for the Republicans. Oh, great Not news. good news. Trump doesn't like him. Yeah, that's great. So uh, I do expect no labels to be in uh, in the mix. They've, they've said over and over again, if it is Trump-Biden, they're in. And that is going to be great news for Trump. Let me ask you about this, Brian. Uh, we're talking with Brian Kilmeade. You can catch him on Fox and Friends every morning. Catch him on One Nation every Saturday night. And uh, you can see him in person if you live in Nevada. He's coming to Henderson in April. Uh, go to briankilmead.com for more information 
on that for everybody listening on K-Dawn. The special election that I alluded to in your backyard on Long Island, the race for Santos's seat. Uh, George Santos, who was on this program on Monday, he kind of um, rubbed a little bit of salt into the wound of the New York GOP. He um, gr- sent a group text to several of his former colleagues and a whole bunch of his fellow Republicans calling them all effing idiots and blaming them for, and the ousting of him, for the defeat and the loss of a Republican seat and wish them luck in the next fundraising quarter. Obviously, tongue firmly planted in cheek. Two-part question. One, through the prism of hindsight, knowing that the Republicans lost this seat, was it a mistake for them to remove Santos? Question two is, is that election a harbinger of things to come for the GOP in suburban districts in November? Great question. It's great for our shows, you know, especially the New York Minute. And I go, you know, I a couple of things. George Santos mocking Republicans when he lied, seems to have committed campaign fraud. The only thing missing is the conviction uh, and his trial date. So Republicans weren't necessarily being street smart and ousting him. But this guy is not wrongly accused. Do you look at how he lied to Long Islanders? And uh, some portions of Queens, the guy flat out lied about his background. He lied about everything. He misused funds. Uh, He continued. The only thing he did right was continue to vote, uh, support Donald Trump and continue to vote for Republican causes. And that's fine. I've talked to Kevin McCarthy. He says there's no way I would have ousted him. And if you look at Democrats, I think the bigger story is why is Menendez still there? I mean, they have no ethics at all. They don't even begin to care. And this guy is giving up. He's been accused of something extremely serious. This guy's over in Egypt changing our policy recommendations seemingly so he can get richer and his wife can get bigger diamond rings. And what he's doing with all these uh, unauthorized, you know, the gold bars on down, (laughs) as Senator Fetterman has said, why is he still there? So where are the ethics on the Democrats? But it's hard to criticize Republicans for doing the right thing. And the guy that just and, and I understand you can't start kicking people out on accusations and indictments or else Trump would not be running. But when you know, when you read what Santos has done and lied about to think that he is casting himself as a hero to maybe uh, bump up his cameo uh, uh, sales is a joke. And it's hard to criticize someone for doing the right thing and having standards. I watched that press conference. I saw Bruce Blakeman and company go, that's not the guy I supported. My endorsement. A lot of people voted for him because I said so. You know, he is a very popular Nassau County executive. And now I feel duped. And I just want to say, I am sorry. This guy deserves to be out. So it's hard. It's hard to ever jump on George mm-hmm. Santos seat. It's not the most street smart thing they've ever done. Uh, Brian, we're going to have to end it there. I very much appreciate the time. And uh, we'll talk again soon. Right. And don't forget to listen to uh, the Brian Kilmeade show. Uh, not 10 to noon. And uh, stay within yourself, Frank. Uh, Brian Kilmeade, a, a terrific radio talk show host, one of the best in the country, and uh, with oh, always someone with a great lineup of guests, uh, including you know a great interview with uh, Ian Bremmer yesterday, which I uh, really enjoyed listening to. Uh, check it out on a lot of our great stations. All right, 15 seconds of fame, where you get to comment on whatever you want for 15 seconds, 800-848-9222, straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight. 